Hey everybody, here on the Packaday Podcast, we're all about look good, play good, and that's why I'm super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. Oakley is changing the game and it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. Do you run, golf, work out, or just want to look like Aaron Jones? Then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakleys today. Last season, I saw Aaron Jones wearing his signature Oakley sunglasses and I knew I had to have a pair. My Oakleys fit me perfectly and I've loved Oakley's style since I was a kid. There's just that extra boost of confidence I get when I'm wearing them and that's why I wear them every single day. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses that allow for an expression of your own unique personality, there's more than meets the eye. With summer just around the corner, you're going to want to upgrade your sunglasses game right now. Check out oakley.com to get yourself a pair. Personally, I'm a huge fan of the frog skins. Did you know that Oakley even offers prism lens technology? What the hell is that, you ask? It's a proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? I know you do, so head over to oakley.com and uh, do your own research. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses that'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglasses brands in my life, and I can assure you, Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head over to oakley.com for more information today. Before we jump into today's show, let's once again do our More Than Meets the Eye segment brought to you by Oakley. I just want to say one more time, a huge, huge thank you to Oakley for their partnership over the past couple months. Head over to oakley.com right now. Find yourself a new pair of sunglasses. Oakley has been nothing but supportive of us, so please support them as well. Today's More Than Meets the Eye candidate is the one and only Eric Stokes. And maybe More Than Meets the Eye isn't the appropriate term. Maybe it's more out of sight, out of mind. And of course, he is coming back from injury and we all know that he did not have his ideal season last year. But with him being sort of out of sight, out of mind, I think we forget this was a former first round pick who had a very, very good rookie season and really basically jumped into that number one cornerback spot when Jair Alexander went down with injury. Now, Razul Stokes stepped up that season as well, but Douglas and Stokes made a pretty formidable duo at corner with Jair Alexander out. And everyone was thinking that, oh man, once Jair gets back, Jair and Razul and Stokes, that's going to be a phenomenal trio. It didn't work out that way because Stokes struggled in 2022. And then unfortunately, he had the injury that forced him out for the remainder of the season. But I go back to that rookie year and I love what he was able to accomplish as a rookie. That is no easy task. And I think he's going to get back to playing at a higher level. One of the things that I love about Stokes is he was you know, basically aware and had a great self-awareness about his performance from a season ago. He knows it needs to be better. And of course he needs to come back from injury first. And I don't think Green Bay should force him back or try to get, you know, rush him back in any capacity, nor do I think that they'll do that. But once he's able to play and once he's able to legitimately get on the field, I don't think he should be handed anything. Jair Alexander, Keyshawn Nixon, Razul Douglas, maybe can hold down those corner spots even once Eric Stokes is back. But once he gets that opportunity, I very much expect him to bounce back and have a very, very good 2023 season. I think his ceiling is a very good starting corner in this league. Maybe it even tops out as a top number two corner. If that's the case, there is so much value in that type of player. I am still very, very bullish and excited about Eric Stokes. And I think that comeback tour starts in 2023. Now on to today's show. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Welcome. 
What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to this Saturday edition of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can also follow me on threads at Andy Herman NFL. Don't know what that's going to become, but in case it is needed and in case you want to find me there, you can do so as well. Today, we're going to be touching base on a topic that maybe isn't the most fun topic in the world, but I think it's one that we need to discuss because as much as I enjoy and appreciate Matt LaFleur as head coach of the Green Bay Packers, and I very much do, I think he's a fantastic head coach. I think we're about to learn a lot more about him and the rest of this coaching staff, this team, this front office, etc., with the absence of Aaron Rodgers. But that being said, through the four seasons plus of Matt LaFleur so far, overall, very impressed. I think he is a very sound head coach when it comes to knowing the pulse of his team and the pulse of his players. I think he game plans very well ahead of a game. I think he knows how to attack opposing defenses. I know I, I think he knows how to look for opposing teams' weaknesses and trying to exploit them. But I do think there is one major issue that has been a problem for Matt LaFleur. And I think it's something that now that we're you know going into season five for Matt, we need to sort of address it, point it out, and sort of keep an eye out for it moving forward. Because this is a 2023 season that has razor thin margins, right? This could be a NFC North that could go to any of the four NFC North teams. This is an NFC where the seven playoff spots feel mostly sort of up for grabs. I think there's certainly a handful of teams that are probably favorites going into the season. Teams like the Philadelphia Eagles, you know the rest, but I think there is a lot of opportunity in this season. And if you seize that opportunity, you could be a legitimate playoff team and maybe even be a surprise team when the playoffs roll along. If you do not make the most of that opportunity, you could legitimately be looking at a bottom three or four team in the NFC. That is how razor thin the margins are. And I'll even just say it from an NFC North standpoint, if you are great or if you like hit on the things you're supposed to, you finish first. If you don't, you can easily finish fourth. And I think the difference between those two things, again, is just the margins are not there. There's nothing. It's just going to take a decision or two that could change that one way or the other. And the issue that I want to discuss today is Matt LaFleur's person, you know, personnel decisions uh, primarily on game days. And what I mean by that is making sure that he's giving his best 11 players on the field, his best five players on the offensive line, that he's giving the right players the opportunities and putting them in positions to succeed. Because through the course of four seasons, there have been some rather significant issues when it comes to that. I think the best example of this is probably the 2021 divisional round game, the San Francisco 49ers versus the Green Bay Packers. You know what I'm talking about. They decided to put Billy Turner at left tackle in that game. Dennis Kelly at right tackle. If you remember, Yash Nyman had been playing left tackle. They were hoping to get David Bakhtiari back. He ends up not being able to play. And now for really one of the first times, they had the decision to make of, all right, we've got Yash potentially at left tackle. We've got Billy Turner. We've got Dennis Kelly. Like Kelly's probably mostly a right tackle. Billy can kind of play a little bit of both. He's played left in the past, but not a ton. He's played a lot of right. And I think a lot of people just expected, okay, you put Yash at left tackle. He's probably the most natural left tackle, and that's where he had been playing up until that point. And then you've got the decision, do you want to go with Billy Turner? Do you want to go with Dennis Kelly, who had been playing very well uh, up until that point? Very solid season for him. I know he wasn't like a top tier player going into that year. They got him on the cheap, but he played very, very well for Green Bay. Had, a, like I said, a very solid season up until that point. I think a lot of people were expecting Yash at left tackle and either Dennis Kelly or Billy Turner at right tackle. Now, full transparency, the moment that it happened, where they in pregame lineups go with Billy Turner at left tackle and Dennis Kelly at right guard or right tackle, excuse me, I defended that 
move. And to this day, I probably still defend it more than just about anyone. Now, benefit of hindsight, you can make the strong argument. They lost that game, had a terrible game on offense and the San Francisco 49ers defense, including that front defensive line really won that day in a lot of different ways. Now, obviously there's a lot of other things that went bad from Green Bay's standpoint, but it's easy to make the argument, hey, you know what? Billy Turner, Rick, and uh, you know Dennis Kelly did not work on that specific day, so it clearly was a big mistake. Now, it depends, right? The first thing I understand here is you have two veterans playing on the outside, and if I had to guess, if I had to guess, I think there's another voice in the room who probably had some say over that. My guess is Aaron Rodgers probably had some inkling of wanting his two veterans out there. We know he's a big Billy Turner guy. Like I said, Dennis Kelly had played very, very well up until that point this season. I have a feeling they went to Aaron a little bit and said, hey, who do you want protecting you on the offensive tackle, you know, for offensive tackles? And if they asked him, my guess is he would have said, give me Billy Turner and Dennis Kelly. And this is where, again, best five guys in the offensive line may have ultimately been a little bit of a sort of mistake here and just kind of getting Aaron's opinion on that. I don't know that for a fact. I don't know that for sure. But I do know they usually ask Aaron about those things. And I do know Aaron tends to prefer his veterans. And he had, of course, and still has a ton of reverence for Billy Turner. And when you're going against a very strong defensive front, you kind of want your veterans out there in that sort of scenario. Furthermore, I think to this day, Yash, especially at that point in his career, was a little bit overestimated as to like how good he was. He was fine. He was a decent swing tackle. I still kind of view him that way to this day and still I'm hoping he's kind of the left tackle, right tackle, swing tackle in 2023 with Bakhtiari starting at left tackle and Zach Tom starting at right tackle. But that's another story for another day. I don't think that this was just a, hey, you can put Yash at left tackle and you can set it and forget it and you don't have to worry about it anymore, right? So I don't see it necessarily that way. And I think you can make the argument again that in a big game like that, you want your veterans out there. Now, as I mentioned, it didn't work out on the field. The results were not great, but you can make an argument that, hey, Billy Turner, Dennis Kelly weren't necessarily the reasons why. In fact, according to PFF, Dennis Kelly was actually the second rated offensive player for Green Bay that day, and Billy Turner was the third. So you could, there's a world in which it exists where Yash plays and that offense is actually worse because if he would have played his normal brand of football and how he normally graded throughout the year, he probably would have been worse than either Dennis Kelly or Billy Turner in that game. So I know that that's one that gets bandied about quite a bit of like, oh, this was this major mistake. I don't necessarily view it that way. Now, I personally take PFF's grades out of it. I actually had a pretty darn bad grade on Dennis Kelly in that game. I did not think he played overall that well. And I think you could make an argument that he probably needed to be pulled at some point in that game, or just you start Yash at left tackle and play Billy Turner at right tackle. But I can understand it going in because of how Dennis Kelly had played up until that point. My bigger issue is they never adjusted. And that's a a bit of an issue for Matt as well from time to time. But I thought if you wanted to go with your two veterans and see how that started with, okay, fine, so be it. But when Dennis was struggling in that game, all right, then it's time to switch Billy back to right tackle, put Yashin at left tackle, heck, put Yashin at right tackle, whatever you need to do to sort of adjust that. I didn't think that adjustment was made. And either way, I think you can make an argument that whatever they did on that particular day, even at the tackle position, it just, everything seemed to be a little bit overthinking. And I think that 2021 divisional round game at offensive tackle was certainly a version of that. But that's probably the least egregious of some of these mistakes along the offensive line. In 2020, you had Lucas Patrick starting and you had Rick Wagner on the bench and you had John Runyon Jr. on the bench. Now, 
you can make a strong argument that John Runyon Jr. just wasn't ready yet at that point of his in his career. Okay, fine. Could he have been better than Lucas Patrick? Maybe. Lucas Patrick actually played mostly fine in 2020, but Rick Wagner played very well when he was in in 2020. And this is another situation where Billy Turner could have easily kicked in at guard for Lucas Patrick. And if you ask me, would I rather have Rick Wagner and Billy Turner starting or Billy Turner um, and you know Lucas Patrick, I'm going to probably go with Wagner and Turner in that situation. I just thought there was a minimal return on investment for Lucas Patrick and, and you know putting him in for a bunch of snaps in that season. I don't I don't think you were ever going to get much out of it. So kudos to Lucas for playing about as well as he could have possibly you know been expected to in 2020. I still think there were better options, and if you want to get your best five on the offensive line, there was a way to get Billy Turner and Rick Wagner on the field rather than Lucas Patrick, and they didn't do that. In 2021, Lucas Patrick and Royce Newman, both on the field over Yash Nyman, Dennis Kelly, and John Runyon Jr. to start the season. In fact, that's the year where Royce Newman played 10,000, or excuse me, 10,000 would be a lot, 1,084 snaps in 2021, the second highest of any player on offense. That is a ton of snaps. And again, they had other options available, specifically Yash Nyman, Dennis Kelly. They could have put either of those guys at right tackle and kicked Billy Turner back inside to take some of that pressure off of Royce Newman as a rookie, nonetheless, and try to get some of those veterans out there. Or again, I think just getting John Runyon Jr. out on the field to start the year rather than going with Royce Newman would have been a better option as well. Now, Newman played better in 2021 than he did last season. So if we're just thinking the, the terrible Newman from 2022, that wasn't quite the level that he played at in 2021. And I could see maybe wanting to develop this player long-term. But if you're talking about best five guys on the offensive line, you had Lucas Patrick and Royce Newman over guys like Yash, Dennis, and John Running Jr. to start that year. And to me, that was not the best five guys out on the field. In 2022, to start the season, I talked about this recently, that Minnesota game to start the year. And as the season went on too, there were some interesting choices. But Royce Newman and Jake Hansen starting on the offensive line. You know who's on the bench? Zach Tom and Yash Nyman. You're starting Royce Newman at right tackle over Yash Nyman. You're starting Jake Hansen at guard over Zach Tom. You cannot convince me in any way that you are doing yourself a service by getting your best five guys on the offensive line when Royce Newman and Jake Hansen are out there and Zach Tom and Yash Nyman are on the bench. And it's not like they would have had to play out a position. Yash at right tackle is where he ended up playing the majority of the year. And Zach at right guard, maybe not his like most ideal position, but I'll take you know, Zach at right guard over Jake Hansen any day of the week. So that is another instance where they did not get the players right. Then also last year, bringing Elton Jenkins back from a torn ACL and playing him at right tackle. And I think all of us thought at the time that this was going to be, all right, you don't have necessarily the right tackle, get him in there and he can be your long-term right tackle. David can be the left, Elton can be the right, and you've got your bookend tackles for maybe at least some period of time, you know, assuming Bakhtiari is healthy, right? Well, that did not work out at all. And Elton did not play well at right tackle. They had to eventually move him back to left guard. You know, this was going from a torn ACL to back in the game, from the left side to the right side, from guard to tackle. That is a lot of change for somebody to go through. And it completely backfired. And he really, really struggled at right tackle. And I legitimately think that that could have been something that cost them games. Rather than having Elton at his normal left guard position, which he eventually ended up with, moving John Runyon Jr. to right guard and then playing specifically Yash Nyman more at right tackle, 
that could have been something that you did all the way along. And getting, you know, Elton back at his normal, comfortable spot would have been a high-end player back at left guard rather than a massively struggling player at right tackle. And again, it's not like you didn't have starting caliber players to replace him at right tackle. You had Yash Nyman, you had Zach Tom. So you had options available there as well. And you eventually got there, but it was like seven, eight weeks too late uh, it, you know, when they ultimately fixed it and actually got him in at left guard. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, everybody. Here on the Packaday Podcast, we're all about look good, play good, and that's why I'm super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. Oakley is changing the game and it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. Do you run, golf, work out, or just want to look like Aaron Jones? Then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakleys today. Last season, I saw Aaron Jones wearing his signature Oakley sunglasses and I knew I had to have a pair. My Oakleys fit me perfectly and I've loved Oakley style since I was a kid. There's just that extra boost of confidence I get when I'm wearing them and that's why I wear them every single day. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses that allow for an expression of your own unique personality, there's more than meets the eye. With summer just around the corner, you're going to want to upgrade your sunglasses game right now. Check out oakley.com to get yourself a pair. Personally, I'm a huge fan of the frog skins. Did you know that Oakley even offers prism lens technology? What the hell is that, you ask? It's a proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? I know you do, so head over to oakley.com and uh, do your own research. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses that'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglasses brands in my life, and I can assure you, Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head over to oakley.com for more information today. In 2019, they started Lane Taylor at left guard to start the season rather than Elton Jenkins. And it seemed like they were going to start with Lane and then they were going to work a rotation and then Elton was going to become the starter. But even still, if we're talking best five guys in the offensive line, you got to get Elton in there rather, you know, sooner rather than later and then let Lane sort of be the super sub at that point. And that would have been a much better option for Green Bay even going into that early 2019 season is to get Elton out there. He's just ultimately a better player than Lane Taylor. So this is we're just on offensive line at this point. The divisional round game, 2020, 2021, two moves in 2022, 2019, there have been a lot of mistakes of trying to get the best five guys on the offensive line out there. And in most cases, in almost every season, they have failed to do so in some capacity. In the defensive backfield, we've got a couple of instances there as well. The biggest one in the 2020 NFC Championship game, Packers versus Buccaneers. You've got Kevin King injured, hardly able to play, playing outside right corner. Remember, they had picked up Tremont Williams and they were able to play him in that game. And per Tremont Williams, 
Per his story, he was set to start the game at right corner instead of Kevin King. And then Kevin King got at least some sort of healthy enough where they decided to go with King instead. So they activate King, they make him the starting corner, and then the rest is history. King had a terrible game. You had that Scotty Miller touchdown before halftime. We don't need to go into all of that. But I, I mean, it's hard to imagine that Tremont would have been worse than what Kevin King played in that game. And sometimes you have to know your own personnel and say, all right, he's not 100%. Let's go, especially in these instances where you're going with the veterans in key games, like maybe go with Tremont Williams in that game. Do I think Tremont's giving up the touchdown before halftime to Scotty Miller in that situation? No chance in hell. So that is a disappointing decision. And once again, even if you start King and you start to realize, all right, this isn't going great, you can move to Tremont. You're not stuck having to stay with Kevin King the entirety of the game. But guess what? They did. And Tremont never got his opportunity in that game. So that is a major what if. Going back to last season, Razul Douglas in the slot. There are so many decisions last year that Packer fans were so far ahead of. And it was like, why is Razul playing in the slot? This was one of them. It didn't work out. He had no natural ability in the slot. All of his press man cover stuff as an outside corner that he's so good at is completely counterfeit by playing in the slot. And the issue with Razul in his career is that he doesn't have the best foot quickness in the world. He's not the most agile athlete. And now you're going against smaller, more agile wide receivers in the slot that he can't get his hands on. You're setting the dude up to fail. So that became a major issue as well that they ultimately figured out mostly just kind of due to Eric Stokes's injury. Then they get Rizul on the outside. They start playing guys like Keyshawn Nixon amongst others in the slot, Darnell Savage eventually in his gains. And that works out way better. And Rizul succeeds on the outside, but not until Stokes got injured and they basically lucked back into Rizul playing on the outside and figuring out something different in the slot. Maybe the biggest, most mind-numbing one is last year, where you've got Amari Rogers as your primary kick returner and punt returner, and the dude blocking for him is Keyshawn Nixon, the first team all pro returner eventually. And eventually they, after like, I don't know, a thousand and one fumbles, Amari Rogers ends up off the team. They go with Keyshawn Nixon and he becomes a first team all pro. This is all about knowing your own personnel, who is going to give you the best opportunity to succeed. They had the best returner in football on their roster and decided, no, we're good. We are going to go with Amari Rogers instead just mind-numbing. Like that is the stuff that can't, you have to know your own personnel. And I get Rich Passaccia, Matt LaFleur, they hadn't really seen Keyshawn do a ton of returning. That's not a good enough excuse. And it would be one thing if Amari was like a decent returner and you just didn't give the other guy a chance because you didn't want to take your decent returner, good returner off the field. And maybe your just amazing returner never gets his opportunity. That you can understand maybe. But Amari was one of the worst returners in football the year prior. And then to start that season, and it took you finally until releasing him until like, again, his like 10,000th fumble to figure out, yeah, maybe we shouldn't go with this guy. And we have this, oh, all pro kick returner on the roster also. Like that was absolutely insane. Last year, again, you had Sammy Watkins taking snaps over Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson. It was clear in training camp. It was clear in training camp that Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs, I mean, obviously Watson had been hurt, but it was clear that those two were talented players. And it was clear that Sammy Watkins had nothing left. Aaron Nagler and I had both talked about it and tweeted about it on a similar day in camp of just like Sammy Watkins has done absolutely nothing. Like he has nothing left. 
And it is beyond time to start going with some of the younger players on the roster. And Sammy had a couple decent plays early in the season, but it wasn't good enough. And you could tell very early on that him taking snaps away from Dobbs and Watson, even Toure, whoever else you want to put in there, you know, Randall Cobb, Alan Lazard was not the right answer. And they finally got to the conclusion midway through the year when they release him, actually it was a little bit past that, but they finally got there. But again, it took way too long for them to discover that. Another one is the often talked about forgetting of Aaron Jones. Like, I don't know how many press conferences Matt LaFleur's been in after the factory are just like, or, you know, he has to explain, yeah, we've got to get Aaron Jones the ball more. Like, it's a given going into the game. And that's not saying at all that you have to keep handing him the football if your offensive line's not blocking or if you're down, you know, 21 to three. Like, no, you can't keep giving it. You can't get him 20 carries. I get that. I understand that. But you can certainly get him the ball in the passing game still. You can absolutely still scheme things up for him. Like Aaron Jones has to be a focal point in the offense and using anyone else on this roster of the past couple seasons instead of him in some of those instances is just foolhardy because you have one of the better playmakers in the league and Aaron Jones on your roster and you have to get him the football more than a handful of times a game. That has been something that has reared its ugly head multiple times. How about last year? I think Zach Jacobson on Twitter just recently posted this one where last year on the, what, fourth and one, fourth and two, you're giving an end around to Alan Lazard on the play. Now we can criticize the play call and the defense did a great job of diagnosing it. And if we're being truthful, I don't know if it was Barry Sanders in his prime on that end around. I don't think that you're doing anything on that play. I don't think you're going to gain anything. And if, if you're ultimately just going for the surprise of like, hey, they're not going to expect Alan Lazard on this play because nobody would give Alan Lazard the ball in a reverse on a fourth and one or two situation, it that didn't work either. Like you just can't be giving your arguably one of your slowest, more lumbering wide receivers who's not super agile the ball in that situation because if it doesn't fool them, he doesn't have the burst, the agility, the speed to make you miss any of that to make them, to, to give you a, a plan B, to give you a different option. So giving a, the ball on a reverse to Alan Lazard when you've got far faster, better players on the team, like that doesn't make any sense. Even last year, again, going to Dean Lowry over guys like TJ Slayton and Devontae Wyatt. You know what? I think the, you know, the difference may have been minimal last year at the end of the day, like Slayton and Wyatt, you could tell we're still developing, still learning, but they were better players. And Dean Lowry wasn't going to be a part of your future anyway. And at some point, like let the kids play because you were like four and eight and like, let's get TJ Slayton and Devontae White as much playing time as they possibly can so they can be ready for future seasons when they are going to be needed and when Dean Lowry's a Minnesota Viking. So that ended up being a weird decision. And then I'll even go a step further in saying just even redshirting some players in given seasons. Alex Light, Vernon Scott, Jonathan Ford, these are back of the roster players who didn't receive like a single snap in their freshman seasons, in their rookie seasons that they just kept on the roster to try to develop and make sure no other team poached them. I think the most egregious of those is probably Vernon Scott in 2021. In 2021, you were in a all-in season. You were doing everything that you possibly could to win the Super Bowl that year. You're bringing in Whitney Merciless and you're doing you're doing everything. You're you were all in on that year. You knew that that was potentially the last dance. Devontae Adams gets traded in the offseason. Like 2021 was the last season. And you're telling me 
that you're going to keep one of your 53-man roster spots for a backup seventh-round safety who played zero defensive snaps, zero special team snaps. You couldn't find somebody, anybody that was going to be able to help your special teams rather than keeping some random backup safety that you release a year later after never playing a snap in 2021, never playing a snap in 2022. You kept that guy on your 53 the entire year rather than trying to find somebody who could help you on special teams or in some other way. That stuff cannot happen. So, All of these decisions, whether it's the five best offensive linemen, whether it's putting in Tremont Williams over a injured Kevin King, whether it's Razul Douglas in the slot, Amari Rogers over Keyshawn Nixon, Sammy Watkins over the younger receivers, forgetting Aaron Jones reverses to Alan Lazard, Dean Lowry over Slayton and Devontae Wyatt, redshirting players that had no right really even being on the team. We'll see what happens with Jonathan Ford. Maybe that one will prove wrong, but like those are things that ultimately can cost you. And those things can't happen in 2023 when the margins are so slim. Aaron Jones has to get the ball. If Josh Myers continues to struggle, you've got to figure out a way to get Elton or Zach Tom or somebody else at center and get your best actual five guys on the offensive line. You've got to let your best safeties win the job at safety. I don't care that Darnell Savage is a first round pick on a guaranteed contract. I don't care that you have a veteran in Rudy Ford that has played, you know, starting snaps a season ago. If they're not the best two, then I don't care if it's Anthony Johnson Jr. I don't care if it's Ennis Gaines. I don't care if it's, you know, Jonathan Owen. I don't care who it is. Get your best two guys on the field. And if Savage and Nixon and Jair are playing extremely well at corner, I don't care that your first round pick in Eric Stokes is coming back at some point. You don't have to put him on the field. If the other three are playing great, let Razul stay on the outside. Let Keyshawn stay in the slot. Let Jair cover the number one wide receiver and don't mess with it. You don't have to get Eric on the field just because he was a first round pick. Like you, it's just, it's not in the rule book anywhere. The decisions have to be better moving forward and in 2023 when it comes to making game day personnel choices. That has been an issue for Matt LaFleur over the past four seasons, and it's something I think can get better. I think it will get better. I have a lot of hope still. I love Matt LaFleur as a coach overall, but this is something that he definitely needs to improve on moving forward. That's going to do it for me today. I always appreciate you guys. I'll be right back here tomorrow with an all-new episode, but until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.